It's day 14 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Happy Sunday, friends. If you are with us in real time, it is a great day because we are finally done with the sometimes annoying words of Elihu, although there was a little bit of redemption there in the end whenever he brought it all back to God. But we get to take a praise break today as God enters the scene to start dropping the truth. So let's go. But before we get into the word, if you could please help us out by hitting the like button, if you have returned for more Bible study, and if you are loving getting to know the word of God on an even deeper level. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the channel, hit that notification bell, subscribe to the podcast if you are there, and also check out our website, heartdive.org. If you have any questions, also bookmark that site so that if you ever need to refer back to a day or you need a one-stop shop of all the podcasts, all the notes, all the videos, it's all right there in one place. If you just go to heartdive.org slash podcast, there's even a link to all of the supplies that I use. My Bible, of course, I'm reading from the ESV translation by Crossway. This is the interleaved Bible, if that is something you want to check out. And if you want additional resources, we do have that available in our Heart Vault shop. So let's go ahead and pray and get into the Word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be in your presence today. Thank you for sitting us down, for carving out this time for us. I pray that it will be a time that is undistracted and I pray that we will be able to just sit here to be able to hear your voice, to be still before you. Humble our hearts right now, Lord. Clear out our minds of anything that might be trying to keep us from being able to spend this time with you and to treat it as holy, as set apart. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to be one of your chosen ones, someone who is in your family. Thank you for making us obedient to respond to that, the desire to want to be able to be a part of that. And I just pray, Lord, that we will be a people who desire to get others to join us as well. Give us the boldness, Lord, to be able to invite others to church, to invite people to the Bible study, to invite people just to talk about Jesus. May we be the light to the world, Lord, the salt to the earth. Help us, God, to have a passion for you to have a passion for your word, to have a heart for the helpless. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. And I just ask that you will reveal things to us that we may not know that we are doing wrong or where we may be falling short. Also help us to be obedient to you in all things, to forgive other people whenever they hurt us or come against us. And we give you full permission, Lord, just to have your way today. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go in chapter 38, the Lord answering Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, so he's basically coming out of the eye of the storm here. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, some scholars have disputed this and said, I believe that he's actually talking to Elihu and the friends of Job because they're the ones who have darkened God's counsel. But I'd say, no, Job did as well, I think, if you really look at it. But regardless of who God is speaking to, because the Bible actually says he's speaking to Job, so that's what we're going with. He's telling everybody, y'all better listen up here because you clearly have not spoken the full truth. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. So he is like, you better put on your best suit and tie here, Job. So this is almost like a pre-fight press conference that you would see before like a UFC fight or something. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. So God is starting off here saying, I'm sorry, were you a fly on the wall when I created the heavens and the earth? In other words, 
Are you the general contractor and the architect and the carpenter? Now, what's interesting is that none of us have firsthand knowledge of what God did. None of us were there. Yet many of us walk around like all-knowing experts in the way that we bite back at each other with our expertise. So heart check. Do you understand your place as a recipient of secondhand knowledge? Does it keep you in a place of humility or do you find yourself lording it over others? Because if you really think about it, again, none of us have firsthand experience or firsthand knowledge. We're all gaining expertise from other people, which again, God gives us teachers. God gives us fellowship for a purpose to be able to learn from one another. But the thing we've got to remember is we've got to keep our hearts humble enough so that we can have a teachable spirit. The moment that we stop having a teachable spirit is the moment that pride begins to rule over our hearts. And that is when you will stop growing. Verse 5, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now, I stopped here on the word all the sons of God because I said, huh, okay. So, sounds like those have got to be all of the good angels, which means that Lucy wasn't there. And I called him Lucy because that's what Kells in our Facebook group called him when we were talking about whether or not we should actually use the name of Satan? Like, is that bringing him glory or not? And I was like, absolutely not. We're going to call him on his junk. But somebody else says, I call him Lucy. And I just thought that was funny. But anyway, he wasn't there. So I thought, okay, well, then at what point did he fall from heaven? There's a lot of speculation on that, of course. None of us really, truly know the real definitive answer. Verse eight, or who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb? And is this in reference to the water canopy and the flood? I'm not sure. But whenever we look at seas or the ocean in the Bible, oftentimes that is speaking of chaos. So perhaps this is speaking of the fact that chaos has been limited by God. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Now, if you think about the fact that most of the earth is covered with water, it does kind of blow your mind about how water has its limits. Like God is the one controlling how far the water can come onto the shore. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? So do you tell the sun when to rise and cause the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? So this is a picture of God picking up the darkness and the wicked of the earth and shaking it out, kind of like shaking out the dirt or bed bugs out of the sheet of the evening. It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. So again, the wicked also limited. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all of this. Now, remember how many times Job made reference to the fact that he wanted to just die, that he wanted to go to Sheol. And it seems as though God is like, do you actually know what that entails and what you're talking about? Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? So the contrast here between light and dark could be a contrast between good and evil as well. 
And it seems like he is saying, if you know it so well, if you know where all of these things dwell, Job, then why don't you be our tour guide around it? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? So he has purpose in his weather once again. What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? So here he speaks of the water cycle here. Has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? Now, with the fact that he's talking about the frost of heaven, the uh, water particles in the atmosphere, that is what we're speaking of. Remember, first, second and third heaven. The waters become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. So now he moves from Job's lack of knowledge to now his lack of strength. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? So this is speaking of constellations here. And by the way, Pleiades in Japanese is Subaru. I learned that something new today. But Pleiades is a constellation that has more than a thousand stars and is said to be bound by gravity in the Milky Way. Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Now, the bear with its children is the Ursa Major constellation. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? And now he goes from Job's lack of strength to be able to control all of this to his lack of power. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. So he's like, can you create storms, Job? And some scientists today would say, yes, we can. I always find it interesting that they actually do make it rain. They have state-funded systems here, even in Las Vegas, where they do cloud seeding. They actually send, I forget what the chemical makeup is in the air, where it creates clouds and it drops rain. I think they do it over in Mount Charleston. And it is not even a conspiracy theory. I mean, this is stuff that is like in the open. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding of the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? And remember, the raven in the Bible is oftentimes referred to as an unclean animal, and God even cares for the unclean animals. So God has started off here by asking a lot of rhetorical questions, but he's answered none of them. And I think that he sometimes doesn't give us the answer because he simply is the answer. And he knows that because we can be like five-year-olds who ask questions like, why is the sky blue? And then whenever we're told, well, it's due to a phenomenon known as Raleigh scattering, where the electromagnetic radiation is scattered by particles of wavelengths much smaller in size. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's the same way we won't understand the answer, even if he tells us the straight facts, because his ways are so much higher than ours. Most of the time, we don't actually want his answer. We want him to tell us what we want, 
or we want him just to give us what we want. Give me more money, Lord. I need a job, Lord. Give me a spouse, Lord. Give me happiness, Lord. And then we wonder why we're never happy because our expectations are all wrong. If we're coming to God only for what we can get from Him, rather than coming to Him because He simply is everything we need, then the answer will never make sense. So heart check. Do you feel you have the right to question God? What kind of answer are you expecting? So he continues with this questioning here, a series of 60 questions in chapter 39. And remember up to this point, anytime God has asked a question like, where have you been? Or where are you? It's never following anything good. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open and they go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver, meaning the slave driver. So notoriously, donkeys are stubborn. He ranges the mountains as his pasture and he searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Now, this ox here is not a typical ox that we know. This apparently is an extinct ferocious ox known as an aurochs. And it was almost as big as a hippopotamus and even more ferocious than that. So he's basically saying, do you think you can actually domesticate this animal? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of love? So even though an ostrich can't fly, she will flap her wings, for she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them, like, oh well, and that wild beasts may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. So she can actually outrun horses for short distances. Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. So we're speaking of war horses here. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed, and he does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is he. 
Now, some people have said that this implies that God allows vultures to eat the slain in order to prevent the spread of disease. Now, this was not even an ounce of all of creation. God was just naming a few of the animals here and their purposes and the things that He has done and how He's made them so differently. And it always amazes me that some people, namely unbelievers, will go through this life completely missing out on the awestruck wonder of nature. I mean, even our perspective as believers begins to get clouded or we even become desensitized sensitized to it at times. But how in the world does an eagle know how to build her nest up on high? How does she know that in order to make her babies fly, she first has to rattle them out of their nest and let them fall before she swoops in to rescue them? I mean, they don't have YouTube tutorials, so it's gotta be God. So heart check, whenever you look at nature, are you able to see God's handiwork and the mystery of it? Or have you been desensitized? So I say look around today and try to be hyper aware of God's hand wherever you live. So that was a short two chapters on this Sunday. So let's take a look at some of the deep dive questions. In what ways were you able to see God's heartbeat throughout this reading? And does it challenge or affirm your understanding of who God is? Why do you think God answered Job before his friends? How do you view the gap between man's knowledge and God's? And take a look at each one of the animals in chapter 39. How can their distinct qualities compare to human behavior? So Heavenly Father, we recognize your sovereignty once again over the profound mysteries of creation and the universe. I pray that every single time we see a storm looming or the boundaries of the seashore or a sunrise, a sunset, the billions of the stars in the galaxy, that we will be reminded of your great power May it never become so common to us that we lose sight of your ability to control all things, especially the minuscule details of our lives. Whenever our minds begin to ponder the mysteries of life and death, help us to come back to trusting you and the things that we do know, that we need to personally know you, Jesus, so that we can have a firm footing on the road to heaven. Forgive us, Lord, wherever we have thought that it was our right to demand an answer from you. We know that your ways are higher and beyond our human ability to understand. Even with the greatest of researchers and scientists, our understanding will always pale in comparison to your great wisdom. So I thank you, Lord, for giving us just a glimpse into your mind and your heart today. We love you so much, and we just thank you for letting us be a part of this life and this earth and in this time. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth, 
that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.